0: to The Marketer's Journey, a podcast that delivers real conversations and fresh perspectives from senior marketing executives who share the journey they've taken and
1: the buyer journey they create. And now here's your host, Randy Frisch. Welcome to The Marketer's Journey. Today I get Amy Holtzman joining me. Amy is the SVP of Marketing at AlphaSense. Now, We hit on this today, I tried to hire Amy once, I missed out, but I did get her on the podcast and you are really gonna love everything that we chat about. We have a very open conversation about progressing to that senior leadership opportunity as a marketer. What does that mean? What does it take? Amy's path is one that went through demand, but what we talk about is what does it mean to have to give up some of those areas that are your comfort zone and really broaden your reach and surround yourself with the right team? From there, we end up talking a little bit more about how we get our team to actually work together. Amy gives some great examples of ways that they've gone to market in a time of change and ways that they get their audience to engage. But the key is, how do we structure our team to handle a campaign? The content piece is an example. Is that on the demand team to create? Is it on the content team to create? We, As we say, we don't have the answers for you, but we definitely have a great conversation about it, great debate. I'm sure the types of conversations you have every day. This is one that you get to listen into. Here's my chat with Amy Holtzman. Amy, thank you so much for stopping in to chat today. I am really excited to talk about your career. You are the SVP at AlphaSense. Tell us a little bit about how you got into this opportunity.
2: Yeah. So as I was leaving my last company, I started to ask um, my network uh, where I should go next. and, And based on some of the experience that I had had at previous companies, I really wanted to go someplace with an outstanding CRO. Um first and foremost, because uh, if you're not aligned with sales from the top, I think it's hard to to get that alignment um, at other levels. Um, and I think you have to be really aligned on on how you think about going to market. and um, and so I got connected actually initially through the CRO because I wanted to work with a really strong one that was very aligned with how we thought we should go to market as a business. Um, and then I, had a great introduction meeting with him and started to talk to the CEO and the rest of the leadership team. Um, But really it was through a connection um, based on me wanting to work with a great CRO.
1: There you go. And full disclosure for everyone listening in, I feel like I missed out tempting you to come to Uberflip by like weeks because I, I think we met for the first time about two years ago and you were just negotiating the details of this opportunity. And and I was really tempted. I'll, I'll tell you, I, I regretted not doing whatever event it was that we we hosted you at earlier. But yeah, <laughs> so, so be it. Uh, at least we're at least we're on a podcast now. Fair. And and it's interesting. I mean, I mean, I look at your career, and part of the reason I was excited to meet you that time and, and tempted was a lot of us want a marketing leader who gets demand generation, right? Like, I, I mean, I think no question there's there's content leaders that get there there's brand leaders that get there but these days it's all about pipeline it's all about the numbers and generating that how did that focus in your career help get you to where you are today
2: i mean i i think that it played a huge huge role right um i've i've kind of found a sweet spot in working for companies that are you know venture funded and uh, at least a little past their A round, but um, either on their B, C, or or going on their D rounds, and uh, in an early to mid stage like company, everything's about um, business performance, and uh, and and marketing is is really measured on the business outcomes you can drive and really meaningful outcomes um, like revenue and, and pipeline, right? And so I kind of came up and uh, was fortunate to come up through the demand generation track because I always talked in terms of business metrics and talked in terms of pipeline and revenue. Um, and it really earned me a seat at the table. Um, and I, I'm a big believer, especially at this stage company, that, um, your demand performance is what gives you the right and the budget to do other exciting things in marketing and to invest in brand and to do some of the cooler executions that, um, I know folks are enamored with, but but without strong demand metrics, you really don't have the kind of right to roam and operate um, in in other marketing capacities that are truly important. So, um, I've always been really rooted in demand, um, and that's given me the opportunity to to expand in marketing too.
1: So that makes sense. And you know, you you mentioned some great companies you're with. Uh, DemandBase is a fantastic company to learn about. Demand Conductor, Splash, and the event space. So I guess you you got to. To learn the event marketing space, just by nature of the product that Splash was, I'm curious as you as you took that step to be a VP of all marketing, not the VP of demand gen or the director of demand gen. How did you, as you put it, start to spread your wings to understand these other disciplines that you'd have to own?
2: So, I was fortunate that before I made the switch to tech, I was at CBS Interactive and I was a product marketer. Um, and I was a product marketer for their lead generation products. And so, anything that uh, ZDNet and Tech Republic sold that would generate a lead for a client, and usually an enterprise um, technology company. And so, I learned a lot. More about the lead generation side of, uh, of media companies. And I also learned a good amount about product marketing. From there, I went into demand base um, and, and took a demand programs role. But I had always at least understood product marketing because of the time that I spent at CBS, um, where that was my primary role. I then went to focus exclusively on demand generation for a little while, but when I rose to marketing leadership, um, I at least was fairly rooted in what a a high-functioning product marketing organization um, should contribute.
1: Gotcha. So Let's talk a little bit about bridging your defined role and, and maybe how people define you. Like I said, when I was searching for a leader like you, I wanted someone who was a demand marketing VP. But we need these individuals to rise to be the VP. What were some of the the first roles that you hired to perhaps you know insulate you on some of those gaps?
2: It's a good question. So um, I do like to hire to my weakness, um, and and I'd say. Uh, Even today, uh, my weakness is probably more on the brand side. I probably say that my weakness is on the comms side. I think I'm actually pretty strong at comms. I just don't enjoy doing it. I like to try to hire in those roles first if you can. But like I said earlier, it's also often hard to invest in those roles until you've built a demand engine and are contributing to the bottom line of the business and then folks become more willing to invest in those functions. And so when I started at AlphaSense, we were actually in a in an interesting time because the company had just raised a big Series B and not announced um, the Series B. And so when I joined, um, my first order of business was to announce the Series B that we'd been sitting on for a little while. And so I went straight into a PR and comms role um, myself. And uh, and actually, that was great for me because I worked really closely with this CEO on what our story was and how to bring it to market in a meaningful way. And I just got a, a really intense onboarding to the company because we had to work through the messaging together. I worked on that first. I hired actually an event marketer first here. And it's funny because coming from Splash, um, that might not be so surprising, but it's probably... It's not what I would normally hire first. Other than we had some moments that we wanted to create in the market around releasing our funding, and I needed a really strong event marketer to help do that. After we got through that sprint, I started to hire on the demand side first, um, and then built that out. Added support to product marketing because that was um, only one person, and it was it was very um, underinvested in. And then we started to add to to the corporate marketing function.
1: And how big is the marketing team now? Just to give people perspective,
2: the marketing team now is sixteen. When I started, we uh, were—I inherited a team of six. We ended up at one point bringing that team down to two folks, um, and have grown it over two years to sixteen. We'll be probably 25 by the end of the year, um, which probably seems large for some folks. Um, we also have some untraditional roles on the marketing team. Marketing uh, owns customer education and our our um, support center. And so that's a little bit untraditional.
1: So my question a few moments ago was, how do you insulate yourself to the areas that are not your strength? One of the, the interesting things you shared with me recently is that you're now at the point where you've hired a VP of Demand Gen. So it's, I, I think it's really interesting and it shows you know, the level at which someone succeeds when you start to bring someone in to own your special sauce or the item that you were hired for. Why was it the right time to do that? And, and what do you think that means in terms of being the, the ultimate VP?
2: It's been an interesting journey to get to hiring an incredibly strong VP of Demand Gen, which I'm so, so thrilled um, with who we have in seat. And I knew because of my background, I needed somebody really, really strong because I knew I knew a lot about the role and the function and had very high expectations for it and, and needed somebody that I truly felt like was better than me at Demand DemandGen. Uh, and so that search took a while, um, but we found somebody great. And it's been a great learning process for me because he is is much more experimentation-minded and operationally-minded than I am. And I've learned a ton working with him in the last two months or so. Honestly, for the first time in my career, I feel like I am able to take a step back from demand gen fully and focus in other areas like product marketing and corporate marketing. Um, and it, that's the first time I've ever felt like that in my career. And it's, it's a little bit of a strange feeling, but it's also refreshing because there is so much more to do
1: absolutely so so let me ask just one one more question before we take a break here and and you really in two years alone forget about the rest of your career right now that we're skipping over but you've gone from managing as you said a team of you know two to six to 16 25s around the corner as you look forward what's going to be the key for you to be the leader at, at a marketing level but also an organization level you know as the svp
2: it's a great question uh i think getting a strong set of leads for each functional area of marketing and so for me that is a strong lead of demand generation, which we have in place, a strong lead of product marketing, which we have in place, um, and a strong lead of, of corporate communications or corporate marketing, um, which we are starting to hire for. And uh, I think that knowing that there are strong leads that I can work with and trust but that and that can coach and work with the rest of the team gives me what I need to be able to both support the team really well. Um, as well as support our executive team and support um, uh, the needs of the board as
1: well. That's great. All right, Amy, we're gonna take a short break here. We'll be back to chat a little bit more beyond what your team's doing in terms of how they're executing as we look at the buyer's journey right here on The Marketer's Journey.
0: Want to improve the buyer journey for your customers and your prospects? Look no further than our presenting sponsor, Uberflip. and we created one just for you. Head to uberflip.com journey to see how Uberflip can help you leverage the power of personalized content experiences.
1: I think what Amy's hitting on here is what kind of marketer are we? What kind of marketer do we want to be? I'm sure a lot of you think of yourselves as a content marketer or a demand marketer, or these days, maybe an ABM marketer. But ultimately, when you hire a CML, when you hire a VP of marketing, you're looking for someone who can think about the entire business. You can think not just about that one focus, that one campaign, but how they work across sales, across success, across that entire buyer journey. And that means at times we have to reinvent ourselves if we want to take that next step. It's something to think about in terms of where you are today and ultimately where you want to get to. So Amy, I remembered the event that I attended with you. It was a New York Rangers game in New York. I was there. We were entertaining a bunch of prospects and customers. I, I mean, those events are not even at our disposal anymore. And people know this talk track. I mean, it's COVID, it's pandemic, you know, we, we've we had to adjust. How are you adjusting? Because I know one of the things that you've you've spoken about having success is that you, you've got an engaged audience, but how do you engage them?
2: At all the sense, i I will say that I feel like I walked into a little bit of a marketer's dream. There was a lot to build and a lot to do, but we did walk into a, an audience that was thirsty for engagement from us. Right. And, and have, I mean, we still have barely scratched the surface of what that looks like across our different um, verticals and personas that we sell into. It's interesting because uh, i I started early 2019, I feel like we were building the team and figuring out like how we would, how we would structure marketing and then had just kind of gotten to a model that seemed like it was going to work and then COVID hit and, and everything changed. And what we started to do early days of COVID was there was just such a need for information about how coronavirus could affect different businesses. By the nature of our product, our product is a search engine for market intelligence, and it sits on top of thousands of different data sources, some publicly available, some subscription services, all of them siloed and hard to access traditionally. And so what we started to do is is use our own product to um, inform businesses and our audience about how coronavirus was, was being talked about in the market and how it was affecting businesses. And so the very earliest days of this was literally early March of last year. and um, We did a very ugly-looking email that was just a summary of how um, public companies were talking about coronavirus in their earnings calls that week. And the engagement was through the roof we actually the day we sent it i was sitting in a board meeting and one of my board members tapped me and said did your team send this and i was like yes and he was like this is exactly what we need we need more of this." and it was something that we had always planned to do but it was kind of one of those moments of panic of like we can't do anything that we used to do so let's just try some stuff and it really worked and that has built a ton over the last year but that was Uh, One of the things that really changed kind of the trajectory of marketing at AlphaSense too.
1: That's exciting. You know, it's interesting. I've Even my own VP of marketing at Uberflap sometimes focuses heavily on building this machine. And like you said, you got to build a lot of that infrastructure. One of the things I'd always challenge him on is like, we can have the best machine ever. We got to make sure that we're pumping something good through that machine, like something that people want to eat that's being pumped out. What, What have you found? I mean, you gave an example there that was great of, what people want to consume what about the channels that you've used because we all hear that there's channel channel contraction to a degree and overload in those channels which channels have been most effective for your team
2: yeah so a few different things i mean and, and this is probably this is a big part of your business right i think good content always prevails right and even though folks can have zoom fatigue and webinar fatigue and and email fatigue uh good content still prevails and so Email marketing works great for us. Uh, as does uh, we've really built a strong webinar program over the last year. We've done that in partnership with uh, with some of our customers, but also uh, some of the providers of investment banking research in our product. And so we started a series in April of last year called AlphaSense Expert. Briefings um, where a content provider, uh, an investment bank will send some of their analysts to, to co-present webinars with us. And that has been so, so, so well received. And so webinars have become one of our top-performing channels. Um, paid search works really well for us and for our market, which I haven't um, seen necessarily at other businesses that I've been a part of, but but we've spent a good amount of time and invested heavily there because we've we've seen a strong return.
1: Let me pause you there. I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued by this webinar one. You, know, you, you hit on some channels that a lot of us, you know, they're part of everyone's mix, right? paid webinars, emails. But one of the things I liked as you described that webinar program was, it doesn't sound like it was called a webinar. I, I love that term, expert briefings, because I feel like I'm jumping on to hear from an analyst, not from AlphaSense, although AlphaSense is in there. How did you go about structuring that, especially just given right now, you know, everyone's got Zoom fatigue, uh, you know, we we don't want to be in our screen too long. How did you make it an engaging format that didn't feel like a pitch, but still you were represented?
2: We stumbled upon just a great way to go to market with our, our partners, right, because our partners' content is available in the product, and um, we're really showcasing the quality of the banks that we partner with, and uh, the quality of the analysts whose content you can access in our product. And so, by it's it's almost like you're getting a like a live preview of the content that you're going to be able to consume in AlphaSense if you sign up, but it's not a heavy sales pitch. Um, we definitely have tiebacks to the product and talk about um, how if you subscribe to AlphaSense um, and subscribe to this content set called Wall Street Insights, um, you get research from top investment banks um, every day. And the tie-in is also that that analyst that presents, you can set an alert on when they publish new content that can get delivered to you proactively. And so we don't have to sell AlphaSense a lot. It's it's really showing our value. And it doesn't hurt that a lot of our partners, early days, we had to convince them that we had the audience and that, um, that they would engage on a webinar, but that happened really quickly. And so last summer, um, we had done two or three webinars. And then uh, we were working with Deutsche Bank on what their first partner webinar would be with us. And they sent their chief economist. um, and it was in June, and he talked about the shape of the recovery and and predictions for the recovery from Covid. And that webinar had thousands of registrations because wow. everyone wanted to hear from the Chief Economist from Deutsche Bank. And so, and, and that was just highlighting a value of our product, right? Like you can consume his research every day in it. So it's it's been nice because we've been able to stay very thought leadership, but show the value without having to really tell the value or walk through a product demo.
1: So I have a, a follow-up question here that I, I feel like for people listening is going to be the tactical takeaway here. And, and this is one that's, it's almost a debate all the time in my organization, which is who should own the content narrative for these webinars right and and as as a vp of demand gen a director of demand gen in the past a demand gen marketer there's always this question i think as to okay it's on the demand gen marketer to schedule the webinar to attract people to the webinar but who's actually going to figure out what's said on the webinar in, and this
2: is still a hot topic on my I, know, so,
1: team today. <laughs> so I, I told this is the part that everyone's going to go and you know share around their office you know in your mind is that on the demand marketer or is this where corporate communications or content or product marketing in this case has to weave their way in how does that get done
2: it it's interesting this is is a very hot topic with my team right now i i think it depends on the type of webinar we're doing and the intention of the webinar so if it's a customer if it's a webinar featuring a customer our customer marketer takes the lead there with our product marketing team and says what will they go through what are the features that they're going to show what's the talk track there so we've done a good amount of those. The other webinar type that, that we're doing a lot of is, is the partner webinars. And a lot of that is, it is hard to get analysts' time to present on these. And so a lot of this is, um, what analyst is that partner, investment bank, willing to give us? And um, what content have they recently published? And so what do they have an established talk track around and, and, and expertise in? And does that align with, our market and who we sell to. And if the answer is yes, then it makes sense. And if the answer is no, then it's going back to the partner and saying, hey, uh, even though you have this analyst that wants to do that thing, it doesn't really fit our audience. Um, and, And sometimes it's also setting expectations with the partner because sometimes their analyst has a really nice niche with our database and who we go to market with, but we know it's gonna be a smaller turnout, but an important niche for us. And we set, we set the expectation of, this isn't gonna be a huge thing, but it's gonna have these kinds of people in it. And then sometimes it's, it's a widely interesting um, topic that will drive lots of interest and lots of leads. And so it's, all, it's a dance that we do of, does that analyst resonate with the audience? And is our partner okay with a smaller audience for this? Or do they want a really big audience, in which case we need to coach them on what topics will drive that. But it's a constant dance that I do, comms does, and demand gen does on that side.
1: So, so who collaborates? I mean, this is my last question on this. But as you said, it, it depends, which is a fair – I mean, that's the best answer in marketing, right? Like it, Everything depends. It depends, on everything. <laughs> it depends on everything. Who aligns to figure out who's going to own this? Because otherwise, I think too often what I see, everything falls back onto content, content team gets overwhelmed, because all these different needs of the business keep going back to content saying, we need you to pump this out, we need you to structure this webinar, etc. How do you collaborate to determine if everyone agrees on the owner?
2: Uh, good question. I think, listen, I think we're still defining it every day. Honestly, I think in the last week and a half, we decided we need to hire a director of partner marketing because these partnerships have become such a big thing. And there's such a dance to do between the different functions on marketing, as well as some of the rest of the company that, uh, we need a dedicated owner because demand's getting pulled in. I'm getting pulled in comms is getting pulled in. And it's not to say that that partner marketer, won't still need to pull us in, but over time, they should at least learn enough about what the partner's looking for and our audience that we don't all always have to get pulled in. But I don't know that I have the best answer other well, than- no, like, I,
1: mean, I think you hit it though. It's communication and it's it's creating this, it sounds like you're creating a vibe where people should feel comfortable to to ask and to call on each other and stand up and- and be Absolutely.
2: And at, at a certain point, it gets to a place where, I mean, and, and it literally just got to this two weeks ago, where- our, it, it just becomes clear that we we don't have the right owner for it and we need to hire for it, right? And and I think, you know, AlphaSense didn't have marketing or modern marketing two years ago, and so we're still very much building it and figuring it out. And we learn something new, like, every few weeks or months that that could change the way that we're structuring the team or how we're going to market. And I think it's important to just stay very attuned to like what isn't working and where do we where where do we have too many people spending too many hours that we could solve for if we had a different headcount or structure
1: well there you go i mean you said it earlier you're going from you've gone from 6 to 16 and you're still going to 25 so there should be gaps that need to be filled yes (laughs) (laughs) we're going to take another short break here we'll be back just to hit a little bit on how you disconnect as much as we've talked about your team being connected right here after a short break So what Amy and I were really just talking about there is who's going to own the project. And I think this is something that happens in every marketing team. People pass, people finger point. Every once in a while, we do have a great marketer, I should say more than once in a while, who's going to own something. But it's always a debate who should be the owner. And I'm going to share a cool idea that one of my marketing team members introduced. Shout out to Beth here, is this idea of a gig team. She puts it, many people have their jobs, and those are very well defined. But then we have other projects where there's not a specific owner. And there's an opportunity to take people across different departments and create a gig, kind of like that side gig you might have. And that gig is something that those two individuals or more come together and partner on to get done. It's that mentality that really gets us to work more cross-functionally and ensure that projects get done versus passed around without any idea of who will get it over the finish line. All right, Amy, we've talked about how connected your team needs to be. Let's talk a little bit about how you disconnect. I mean, in this world, more than ever, we feel like we're on demand, we're available because we're at home. Uh, How have you put good barriers in place?
2: I don't know that I have. I've always been very connected and and had an issue with disconnecting, and I think COVID has made it much, much harder. One of the things that I've done – that, frankly, my friends laugh at me for, is that early in the pandemic, I bought a Peloton uh, and was using that for a while. It's great, lots of people are on it, really have enjoyed it. But around September in New York, um, I'd always been like a moderate SoulCycle fan. And around September in New York, um, SoulCycle started offering soul outside and they popped up tents in the city because you couldn't work out indoors, uh, in two pretty like iconic locations. And there's like 40 bikes at each location. And I have been going so much just because it is outside, and it's a cool setting, and it's like one of the only things you can do, and it's distanced, and uh, and I've never worked out this much in my life, um, but it's just been such a nice way to... Get outside my apartment and and just do something different. So I kind of have to like remove myself from the situation to disconnect.
1: That's so true. I mean, getting outdoors is as we know it's it's safe as long as we have the right right guidelines in place. And uh, I, I think it's hard to find things to do, but it's great that you found those.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's been really fun. It's uh I, I was joking with my husband last weekend. I've I've like now made a little click of Soul Cycle Friends that like we barely talk to each other, but we show up for the same classes every week oh, for sure. uh, and have all through COVID. And I'd say that's been like a nice kind of saving grace. And and my friends do make fun of me, the amount that I'm going there.
1: Okay. <laughs> they're they're just jealous. They're just
2: jealous. I know. <laughs> Sometimes you... I convince one to join me. <laughs>
1: Amy, this has been great. If you're tuning in as the first episode you've found here with Amy Oldsman, please check out all the other episodes we've had. There's probably close to 60 episodes that you can look back on. Great marketing leaders. Everyone's journey is different. I'm sure yours is taking its own path. And one day maybe you'll share it here on this podcast. Find us on Spotify. Find us on iTunes. Wherever it is, leave us feedback. Until next time, thanks for tuning in to The Marketer's Journey.